We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And Lakers got an excellent win last night against Chicago. Led wire to wire, held Pat Bev to a very satisfying 0 for 5, minus 32 night, capped off by an Austin Reeves too small. But LeBron and AD looked like superstars together in the same game. And that hasn't happened a ton for a number of reasons over the last couple of years, mostly due to availability. But they looked great. And I wanted to start just by pointing out, we ran our offense D through LeBron James in the post in that game, a ton to start the game. First three half-court possessions were that. They had Alex Crusoe on them. Then we would go to Anthony Davis against Vucevic in space, kind of having him beat him off the dribble. Then a lot of Austin Reeves ball screens. D'Angelo Russell wonderfully fitting in, shape-shifting from one role to another. Just a an amazing offensive performance, man. And so, yeah, I'd love to start on the offensive ND. What do you see in that game? Well, we talked about it before the game, this idea of like, what were the Lakers going to do? They have all of these advantages from a matchup perspective, particularly if the Bulls are going to play as small as they did the last time. And the Bulls did play as small as they did the last time. And the Lakers purposefully hunted them out in the post and made them decide, like, how much help are you going to give? And we've talked a ton about LeBron slotting everyone properly, Mike. But this, to me, is the epitome of what that can look like when he has a matchup advantage, right? And so we often talk about how superstars are this level above other players, and they can they can dictate the terms of engagement because of the level that they can reach that other players don't have the opportunity to reach. And they have a, so many built-in advantages that it seems like they have a mismatch every night. But if you're going to defend LeBron James with Alex Caruso, who we love, but I'd say this about any all-NBA-level defender who happens to be a guard, and you're asking them to defend LeBron James, 
if LeBron goes into the post, you're putting them, you're putting the defense into a situation where he would literally score 100 points if you just did that every single possession down that he was in the game. So Mike, when you decide, okay, well, you're going to defend me with a real mismatch, right? Not like I'm a superstar and everyone's a mismatch, but like, oh no, this dude actually doesn't have a chance against me to defend me one-on-one. And then that player is also an elite passer. You're greasing the wheels to your offense in a way where everything else just fits perfectly. And so it doesn't even need to actually be great or like, oh, like if Austin and D'Lo aren't necessarily perfect fits next to LeBron, which they are, or Anthony Davis isn't exactly a perfect fit next to LeBron, which he is, it's just like they would still thrive based off the fact that he's drawing two or three every single time that he's catching the ball in the post. But those dudes were perfect fits. And so what you saw is when those three dudes shared the floor with LeBron James, the offense was scoring 1.6 points per possession. That's an unreal level. That's like the Globetrotters, basically, right? Or it's literally like what the scrimmage looks like between a varsity and a freshman team. Like that's the level in which they're going to score. And to start with the offense, Mike, like that's where it all began. It was the Lakers basically deciding, yep, you can't stop this dude with any of the defenders that you have. So we're going to go to that guy every single time. What are you going to do about it? The game was all about advantages. And in this matchup, once you put D'Angelo Russell into the starting lineup, um, as opposed to what it was last game, you know, with Schroeder, the Lakers have advantages all over the place uh, and they exploited him. And in fact, if you just look at so Chicago starting Vucevic at the five and DeRozan at the four, but guarding the four defensively with Caruso, that's about as advantageous as a matchup that AD and LeBron are going to get uh, in the NBA, minus, you know, some of the teams like, you know, that, that aren't really trying to win right now. And I, I love the fact that they went right to it in the first couple of possessions even. And the yes. shots that they were getting were terrific. Uh, and that only broke like once the bench, the all bench group came in. And then that was when Chicago kind of got back into the game. And I'm, you know, I think that that, <laughs> that part of the game was frustrating to watch because it was so clear all of the advantages that the Lakers had. I think some of that changes as these games go on. And first of all, LeBron goes from like 31 minutes to 35 minutes. Um, even Austin Reeves played about 29 minutes. Like he could go up a few there. And then if you stagger one of those guys with the bench unit and you're not playing, the five guy bench unit, then that sort of solves itself in some ways. But yeah, just the, this is kind of what the, I think the idealized version of this starting lineup. I do think that it's, it's important to mention that most teams will not start that type of defensive matchup uh, against the Lakers. And so it shouldn't be that easy uh, for them to get advantages, but they, they have, they have so much skill now in that group and so much basketball IQ that, that Pete, I found myself, the question that I was kind of wanting to get an answer to, and it's it's one of those ones that I think I knew the answer, but I just wanted to see the way that, that they described it. We talk all the time about cohesion and continuity. And, you know, not to not specifically to like bring Russell Westbrook into this, but there that group was constantly like, we need more time, we need more time to figure it out. We've only been on the court together, you know, for a game or for 15 games or for 20 games. And like this starting lineup didn't need much time. To, to click right because because of the the fit and the skill set uh, that that can fast track cohesion and chemistry and that's 
basically what D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves and even LeBron and AD were just like, yeah, man, it just fit. It's just easy. It just works well. Like I know what this guy, this guy knows with what his skill set is. It can complement what mine is really well. And it's not easy to find that in the NBA, uh, but you can find it if there's a, a particular set of guys. And, and I, I do think that they have a group like this um, that gives real reason for optimism, Pete. The ball handling collectively of that group and just the skill level, I think there's a universal language in that, that if you really know how to play ball, and I love how D'Lo talks about Austin and how Austin talks about D'Lo and their quotes about each other, like they really have a, a fondness for each other's games. And a big part of that is like, they're setting flare screens for each other. They both like our swing passes, Darius, I know you saw it, man, the way we're swinging the ball out of those double teams on LeBron and against Minnesota, the mismatch is going to be different, right? It's like Cat and Gobert are going to be big guys down low. They're going to have more size on them. And so that's probably more of a pick and roll game and one where we're trying to get Cat or, or Gobert to run around on the perimeter, right? So the way we go about attacking the mismatch, I think, is going to change from game to game. But there's just like this universal language in understanding how to play play and when to do what and man we're getting like five six seven reads deep into progressions i haven't seen us do this in years probably since probably since d'antoni when the and that was when we had a ton of other problems right but in terms of like one action flowing into the next into the next and just a big part of that is the skill level of everyone even including vanderbilt in terms of having the ball in his hands he doesn't catch the ball particularly well, but he's very comfortable dribbling the ball, going from one hand off to another. He knows when to set a pin screen, when to set, you know, when when to cut, when to do all of this. And so, just between the five of them, man, like that's, oof, that's a that's a starting lineup right there. Well, also too, even when Rui closed out the first half and he closed the half for Vanderbilt, so it was the same. It was that core. I've, I'm going to refer yes. to these guys as the core four players of D'Lo, Austin, AD, and LeBron because you can slot any number of players around those four guys, and you can build so many different types of lineups that are going to give teams problems, right? And so Vanderbilt. He was hitting his outside jumper yesterday, so he hit a couple of threes. Those were important. But his ball handling and his defense and approach to cutting and how he understands how to work when defenses are ignoring him, he's he's very good at that. But Rui is also an excellent cutter. He's a guy who can attack a closeout and hit a pull-up jumper, which is a different look than what Vanderbilt is going to give. And he's that big body defensively and on the glass where even if it's not showing up in counting stats, it's showing up on tape. And so you could go with Rui there. You could go with Troy Brown there. You could go with... Dennis Schroeder there and play a three guard lineup. You could even go with Beasley or Lonnie and have like a more conventional shooting guard look. And all of those looks are acceptable, Mike. And that's that idea of you're talking about fast tracking. Like, yeah, like you put those four dudes on the court and you're in the carpooling and all of these other dudes are like, OK, well, damn, I live in the Bay Area. So it's like, oh, yeah, you're over there trying to cross the bridge at the wrong time of the day and you're just sitting there idling. Right. Because the skill sets don't match up. And and that's been an issue in terms of. And this is the complications that I think that come when you build around as great a players as LeBron and ADR. It's one of the reasons why Pete and I were like banging our heads against 
the table and against the wall, like, like, no, you need a skill guard because a skill guard is going to help unlock a lot of this stuff. And now the Lakers are starting two of them. So Mike, I'd love to get your thoughts because we talk so much about LeBron and AD, but Russell and Reeves, they are a formidable skill guard duo that can do everything on and off the ball. They can cut, they can screen, they can pass, they can create shots for others, they can score in isolation, they can, nav- they, they can navigate a screen and roll, they understand the flow of the offense, they can play off of great players or they can be the great player themselves on any single given possession. And that flanking LeBron and AD is just something that teams are gonna have to contend with, I think. After the game last night, I asked you guys, uh, and I can't remember what site that you used to do it, and I should just do it myself, but you guys do it in like three seconds usually. It was like, hey, what's the what's the net rating just for LeBron and Russell? Uh, and, and you know, I'm looking at some of the plus minus stuff. So D'Lo is plus 116 in 371 minutes. And that, like, that's after, that's, that's you know, it's enhanced a little bit by a plus 35 last night. But still, he was our best plus. net rating guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's been our yeah. best net rating yeah. guy uh, for a minute. So it's been working when he's on the court. Like he's at his average now is about plus 10. And, you know, just for context, like up behind that is AD at plus four. And, and AD's obviously been so great defensively all season. That's, I think that's helped some of that number. But to now bring Austin into it, I mean, there are three ways to score, there are three levels at which to score. And both of them can do can score at each one. So they both they can both shoot threes. They can shoot threes off the dribble. They can shoot threes, catch and shoot. They both have nice little mid range games. They have floaters. They can score with either hand. Uh, D'Lo has gotten much better at finishing at the rim than he was earlier in his career. Um, very crafty. He knows when to wait. He's got all the English. Austin too. You know, Austin had a beautiful reverse layup um, yesterday on the baseline, and he's constantly he's so good at attacking closeouts. That now, when you have to, when you're deploying a certain amount of resources to LeBron and AD, and then there's D'Angelo Russell, it's you. You just don't have enough typically to also have that type of resource for Austin Reeves. And like this is one, I think the underrated reasons why Golden State has been good over the years. Because aside from Steph, like even last year, they're able to put Gary Payton uh, onto the floor, you know, with Wiggins, with Clay, and with Draymond, and, and so that can kind of cascade down to certain matchups. The type of matchup breaker for me, for them, though, like that's why the Warriors are a good matchup for the Lakers on the other side, because they don't really have the resources for LeBron and AD um, and if they're that's also right. going to have the perimeter type stuff out there. So it's just a it's it's now like I'm thinking about the Timberwolves game. And, you know, we were discussing last week, right, and looking ahead and kind of forecasting and, you know, Pete and I are, are assigning wins to different teams and what what number of wins <laughs> could the Lakers get to and where are the where are the maps going to be and what are the Wolves going to be and what are the Warriors going to be? And so there was this concept that I just needed to see. I needed to see D'Lo, Austin, LeBron, AD look like they looked. And I think that we could have expected that uh, based on what the skill sets are, but they still had to have an actual game of doing it. And that particular group matches up so much better against the Minnesota Timberwolves than even the one, even just one of those cogs out of the chain. That's right. Because then, because they can't just stick Edwards and McDaniels on the two on, on the perimeter anymore and then have Gobert in a drop at the rim and then, you know, have Kyle Anderson sort of messing things up in the middle. It's like now if you've got Austin and D'Lo and LeBron and then AD with Vanderbilt kind of doing stuff on the side, uh, that that becomes problematic for what they do now with Towns back. Uh, and, and it's just... 
that so I think that 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 has changed in one game um, and and had the Lakers had more of a chance to to run some stuff with this group, I think it would it would be even more profound. But that's the part where I'm saying that it's it's pretty encouraging. And they you know, I think that if they could just stay on the floor and yeah. stay with this group, you know, they've uh, they've got a chance to make some noise. Yeah, I hope it motivates everybody. These games like this like the pelicans game where when we are healthy it's like oh wow if we really lock in and focus and kind of take every day and cherish it like we could really like you said mike make some noise and so uh let's let's go do it you know uh i loved just one last point on the offense d it was so productive. We only took 23 pointers in that game. And it's been a parade to the free throw line by strategy for most of the year. That's one of one of the best things that I think uh, Darvin has done this year has been kind of designing this paint assault type of offense that is way more reliant on getting to the free throw line than into the basket and mid range than the three point line, you know, play to play to your strengths. But I've been super interested to see that style has shifted for sure due to the personnel you can run more stuff different plays we had a great uh Dilo had a great corner three off of a pass from austin on an exit screen and like it was just so smooth and it was a great read that's the type of stuff you need certain personnel to be able to do that but with austin attacking the basket the way that he does Dilo, like mike said getting much better at attacking the rim also want to point out with with Dilo, he's gotten he's so much better as a defender than he was when he was young. He's like a really professional defender. He's not super, um, he, he doesn't have a ton of tools on that end, but just like he knows where to be and he's mentally engaged in a lot of those possessions. So anyway, the same paint assault type of concepts, D, I'm still seeing them in this skill guard type of framework. And I think the 23 point attempts really illustrate that. No, it does. I would also say too, that it's like when both Austin and D'Lo are both, good enough shooters where the defense treats them that way. And so teams are going over the top of screens on them. They're trying to back pressure them. And it's very rare that they're going to get a clean off the dribble three or a clean spotted up three without somebody basically rushing at them or really trying to get them off of the line. And Beasley is treated the same exact way, right? And so that pain assault idea though, Pete, is that, well, the right read then, if you're Austin or if you're D'Lo, is to say, oh, well, you want me to drive? Okay, I'll just drive. And now I'm finishing at the basket. And what are you going to do Like for all the conceptual idea about, oh, that's an open three-pointer or a semi-contested three-pointer. We don't want to give up that to this caliber of shooter. I guarantee head coaches are like, well, you know what sucks even more than a yep. semi-contested three-pointer is a layup. That's right. Right? And so D'Lo, one of the things that he does, and <laughs> he is such a crafty ball handler, and he's got like really long legs and big hands and long arms. And so he's like an interesting player that it, it looks like his dribble's too high. It looks like a guy is going to be able to get his hand in there, but suddenly it's between his legs or it's behind his back. Like he's such a natural ball handler. Pat Bev was trying to like get up on him and pressure the ball. And D'Lo was just like, yeah, that doesn't work against me anymore. Like that might've worked against me when I was 19 years old. Right. But it doesn't work against me now. And so he just went between the legs a couple of times, gave him a little like 
shimmy and, and and hesitation dribble, and then suddenly he explodes to the basket. And Mike, I thought post game, Darvin was just like, you know, they talk about not being able to speed him up, but you also can't really slow him down once he's like, hey, like I'm going this way now, and suddenly I'm I'm bigger than you think, and I'm longer than you think, and suddenly he's at the basket. And Austin does very similar things, but in a different way. Like they can be downhill players where that wasn't D'Lo's game early on when he first got drafted. He was much more reliant on that pull-up mid-range jumper and then the three ball, but now he's getting to the rim with such ease and he's finishing and he's leveraging the big man talent that he has around him to be like, hey, are you really gonna leave Anthony Davis right now? Oh, no, you're not. So I'm just gonna get a layup. And so on the offensive side of the ball, that's the stuff that is super encouraging to me because they are bringing that three-level scoring in. Let's take a break and we'll come back. Let's, we'll keep it going. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so we've seen one game of real evidence of what this starting lineup can do. And I think that it, it can't help but to change a little bit of the – maybe change is wrong, but, but it's some proof of concept, right, for <laughs> what this team is now going into this final stretch of games. And they start with a difficult game against Minnesota, uh, who just came off of you know one of their most successful trips despite – a tough loss to Phoenix with KD returning. Uh, you know, they beat Golden State and Sacramento on a back-to-back, and they're really feeling themselves right now. They're they're feeling like they've got a, cha- a chance to make a run. Then you've got, you know, Golden State playing okay. You've got you've got the Clippers who have lost Paul George but still won, a, won two in a row. Phoenix now three wins in a row. You know, Denver has righted the ship a little bit with four wins in a row. Memphis is playing well. They've won eight of ten despite a loss when they sat half their team against the Clippers you know, it's a all of these teams, I think, can can make an argument for themselves. And I would put the Lakers in that group as opposed to, you know, the ones that are right behind them. New Orleans still has the same record. OKC is just a half game back. Um, Dallas is now let's see. Dallas is is a game and a half back. Uh, and it's just a wild Western Conference. But I want to just I want to just return to the base of this Lakers team for a second. And of course, that is LeBron and AD, because Pete, you started by mentioning that in Chicago. And we, we end up talking more about D'Lo and Austin and kind of the fits around them. But those two guys together and playing together, like what are they? And I think you might have even asked this question the other day. And 
how much of it is just them? Like, hey, you two are on the court together. Doesn't matter what's around you. Is that can that team achieve a certain amount? Versus, they're at the point of their careers, and not not so much with AD, but like LeBron in year twenty and all that. Where if you put the right pieces around them, you know, then they then they are you can sort of get the full picture of them. So I wanted to discuss that a little bit. Where are LeBron and AD at? What? Uh, how do other teams view them? And you know, what is the difference with them when you have a supporting cast that makes sense in terms of fit? I love this question because I think that it speaks to how an all-time great can maintain their superstardom when they get to the ends of their career. And LeBron's pushed that envelope further than anyone ever has. And I would say when LeBron was in his prime, gosh, there were probably 200 role players around the league that you could have won a championship if you put them next to LeBron. And I think that number is reduced considerably as he gets older. I think you need more specific types of players. And one of the things that I've felt very passionately from the preseason is that LeBron is more of a big now than he's ever been. That doesn't mean that he is entirely a big. He's always going to be that ball handler that can get to the rack. And we saw him do that last night. But he is more of a big than than he's ever been. And also the league is in a place where like there aren't very many good post defenders because there aren't a lot of people who post up, especially perimeter players nowadays that are really looking to score and will really kick your butt if you don't do it well. And so I think that kind of it's a prime way to maintain LeBron's superstardom in ways that to me, superstardom is you have to put two guys on this guy or he's going to score every time or nearly every time. And that's kind of what how I define that on the offensive end, D. And I think, yeah. Well, let me, no, let me just flush this point out a, a little bit to, to make sure I'm, I'm really getting what you're saying. Please. So if so, LeBron, say like seven years ago, just give him the ball, top of the key, the, the level of speed, athleticism, power, whatever, whoever you put on him, you know, just give him the ball and he'll either get to the rim right away. Now – not it's not that not that he can't do that, but the pressure that it's especially with with the type of players that are going to be out in the perimeter guarding him and how much he's going to have to dribble. You you just want to sort of take some of that load away by having more either playmakers or ball makers there and have him a little bit more of a play finisher than a guy that you just sort of give the ball to and and have him go the whole clock with. That that's absolutely absolutely right. Whether it's as a role man, as a post up guy, there you know, Chicago was switching stuff and then we'd go right into the post with LeBron and they'd have to send two and here we go. Whereas that breaking you down off of the dribble, that's more of the 2020 type of team. And that's great, right? I just don't think LeBron can be a championship number one, number two type of guy in that role at this point of his career, just because he's it's his 20th year. But I do think that he can be a championship hybrid, like perimeter big man type of player. And I think that you need, but you need ne- the necessary guards around them to be able to do that. And that's part of the reason why I think we gravitated so much to D'Lo and Austin D. But yeah, I'd love, love to hear your your thoughts on them. In terms of LeBron or in terms of D'Lo and Austin? In terms of LeBron and just like that building around him offensively. The coaches will tell you through how they guard you about what they think of you. Yes. Right. And this was true of Kobe even late, late in his career. There's a certain amount of like muscle memory that coaches have too about like what is dangerous about a player and what do we have to do when he is doing this thing? And I remember seeing Kobe after the Achilles tear and right block, isolation. 
catching the ball and suddenly here comes the weak side defender creeping into the paint and showing that second help as if the rip through drive baseline attack the basket was still going to come on a regular basis. And don't get me wrong, that play was still possible. I remember seeing Kobe like two years after he tore his Achilles get matched up against, I think, Matt Barnes, it might have been. And boom, rip through baseline dunk. And you're just like, oh, oh, he still got that. Like, I didn't think he had that still. Right. And he did that all the way up until he scored 60 points against Utah in 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 his final game. And so I see LeBron now and he's catching the ball right block, same spot. And he's starting that power back down. And the defense is like, well, are we just going to let him back all the way down until he's like right in front of the basket? Because that doesn't seem like a good idea. And so suddenly the defense is treating him a certain way. But if you have non-shooters or guys who don't understand spacing concepts or players who don't cut and and who don't set flare screens and who aren't natural ball like ball movers, if those are the players that are surrounding LeBron in in that instance, there is no there is no making the defense pay for showing that that extra help. And that's one of the reasons why him being this hybrid player of, well, I can do all of this still, but I maybe I'm going to veer more towards this part of 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 my game. You need hybrid players around him, too, who are going to be functional in all of these different roles mm-hmm. as well. Right. And, and so it's it's why I'm going to keep going back to, to this idea that, yeah, like Austin Reeves is super important. D'Angelo Russell is super important. Even Anthony Davis is super important. A.D. hitting that corner three later in the same day where we were discussing like hey it would be good if he started to take these shots again like it's not because we're ad's listening to the pod it's because these ideas are they're all connected about when lebron james is back what you need the other players on the court to to be able to do and make the defense pay and and so building around him is more constricted than what it was when he was 28 right but a, a, a narrower path for LeBron James to be a championship level player is not the same thing as the narrow path that you might need when you are trying to build around a no defense big who only posts up. Or right? it's just like right. hey, one of those small guards deal. that loves to score, you know, that that doesn't play much defense. Yeah, it's a very different. And I think that with the trades like I think that we've gotten our versatility back with the Westbrook trade and who had a great game last night, got them a win in Memphis, uh, had a great photo. That overhead camera, I was telling someone this yesterday, the overhead camera in Memphis is just gorgeous. It Like they've got great shots on that. Anyway, um, but we've gotten our versatility back on uh, the offensive end where with with Westbrook, like you have to kind of be a certain thing around him yeah and now we can be several different things and i think that that if we want to win a championship you got to beat different types of teams along the way and and not just be one thing and and so i'm I'm really happy about that that we've kind of regained that the thing i'll be interested in seeing with this group of guys is can you be all things right Mm. and so the 1920 team i thought they could be all things yes Right. And there was really no like, okay, we're just going to play LeBron James, Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis together. Like, what are you going to do about that? Right. 
And or here's Kyle Kuzma, who's a 6'10", but can guard a perimeter dude. And here's now small guards who are going to smother you defensively um, in in Alex and and KCP. And I think that they had that one extra pitch that this team may yeah, not have. Agreed. But but this team has more skill in its own way, like in the backcourt. And so it's different, but they've opened up more avenues for sure with this group. I love the idea that the 2020 team was something that was all things. I think the thing that they had the hardest time being uh, consistently involved Rondo being on or off. Like when Rondo was on, we were super hard. Like you weren't beating us because he added a a degree of guard play that guys like KCP and Danny Green, like they're really more wings. They're more off ball players. They're not guys that here, go give, give them the ball and create a shot. Whereas Rondo Mike would set guys up in ways that D'Lo and Austin both have this skill. Uh, And so I think we're going to be able to throw that particular pitch probably better than the 2020 team. Although I totally agree with Darius that, and we definitely don't have that like big look yet that the 2020 team, that was the centerpiece of what they did. So I'm now thinking about kind of right back to what this final stretch is going to be. Uh, And I think we'll probably tomorrow's pod, we can probably talk more about Minnesota um, specifically. So not just to look at them, but you know, as they get into this next, what is it like week and a half, basically like two. Yeah. Not, not almost. It's not even quite two weeks. The spot that they of course want to get to like that perfect situation, perfect scenario would be to get to six and for them to do that. Right. They ha- certainly have to beat Minnesota. That's the first thing. And then they're going to have to get a little help uh, from some of golden state's opponents. I think the Clippers having won that game with Memphis sitting all their guys, you know, puts them probably too far out of reach. Uh, unless they have a an un, because they've got a couple of easy games left too, right? Um, where where some teams aren't going to be playing guys, even if the Lakers were to beat them. But if the if the Lakers just can take care of Minnesota, I think that also gives a certain level of confidence in in a certain level of of the proper buying that they should have for what this new lineup is. And so it almost all hinges on that. And so I I don't know if I need to go into the all of the particulars um, up until we see how that game plays out and without getting too deep into it, it's just like they, the wolves are also trying to figure some stuff out with cat coming back. And I think they had a lot of concepts about what that would look like um, that they've been working on. And and cat's gotten to sit and watch what the group plays like without him. And he's basically just out in the perimeter, taking a bunch of threes on offense and Mm -hmm. he's hitting them so far. Sure. But on defense, it's a little bit less, you know, it's a little bit less um, sensible. As to and and I and I do think that this specific Lakers lineup, mm-hmm. the starting lineup with all of the ball handling, all I think there are a lot of different areas that they can expose um, Gobert and Towns, but in a much different way from what they did against Chicago, where it was just posting LeBron, posting AD, yep. and sort of seeing how that goes. So I I would love to get just an initial look, and I I don't know if Darius has been in his matchup computer. Um, which which he likes to break out and, and see who's going to guard whom and, and what he would do if he were Chris Finch uh, in this case against the Lakers. But I'm I'm just curious for a taste of what you guys think about that matchup. Oh yeah, that that's one in the attack the mismatch spirit. It's going to be making Cat run around on the perimeter as much as possible. Same with Gobert. Like Gobert is a guy that AD has always tormented when he's been at his best and i think that 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 said though i think it's going to be very perimeter based although in this last game d him attacking vucevic 
the degree that it's like ball handler type of stuff where it's like just create space for AD, give him the ball, get out of his way. And then he's going to use inside out dribbles and shoulder fakes and all of these different moves to create uh, to, to get a bigger player to get their weight shifting one direction or, or another. And that's how smaller players or more skilled and agile players always like to attack bigger players is like, it's very weight shift uh, or it's very centered on weight shifting. And so you're going to get a guy leaning one way, you're going to cross over, you fake the crossover and do an inside out dribble. And then he's leaning to cheat toward the crossover. And when that bigger player has to kind of anticipate early because they don't have the physical ability to kind of like, oh, he used an inside out dribble. So I thought he was going to cross over, but instead he went the other way. They don't have the ability to recover. Once they shift their weight one way, a guy like Gobert, what does he weigh? Like 270 or so? Yeah. Like it's hard to get that 270 moving back left when you started moving it right quickly because you were worried Anthony Davis was going to blow by you. And so We've talked a lot about the jump shooting um, in terms of AD and like getting more shot attempts and all of that. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on Mike and then just like the ball handling respect or aspect of that in terms of like how we attack the defense, a, a slower, bigger Minnesota defense. Well, so the Timberwolves are interesting because when the Lakers played them last, Towns did not play. But they defended Vanderbilt with Gobert and they put yep. slow-mo on AD and they fronted the post a lot and they tried to play ball pressure on the guards in order to not be able to make the fronting pass. And what I'm interested in seeing is A, who does Gobert guard? Does he actually guard AD? If he because McDaniels is going to be on LeBron. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that means one of your other, that means who between Cat and Gobert are going to defend Davis? I would guess it's Cat. Me as well. And then I, so I envision they, them trying to put Gobert into a roaming role where he can try to stay closer around the paint with Vanderbilt in. Yeah, he'll just he'll just leave him in the corner and put a foot in towards 100%. the One hundred percent. And so this is where who does Mike Conley guard? Is Mike Conley on D'Lo or is Mike Conley on Austin Reeves? And this is where is LeBron going to go into playoff LeBron mode? Playoff LeBron is like where's Mike Conley? Mm -hmm. Oh, you because if he's in the game, he is the target. Right. Like this is where all of the idea of like, how do you attack slow footed bigs and how do you do this and how do you how like how do you puncture the defense that is meant to be a phalanx with these big right. dudes who are walling things off? No, 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 no. You don't you don't try to go through the front where mm -hmm. all the big bulky stuff is. You sneak around the back. And you find the little window that nobody decided to bar off <laughs> and you put your fist right through that window and then you unleash the hatch and then you go go that way. And that's typically what LeBron James has done is he has found the dude who he has found that smaller guy. And so that's what I'm interested in seeing. If it were me and I'm trying to win this single basketball game, I'm just like, oh, yeah, Mike Conley, you're going to be in about 100 ball screens this game. Mm -hmm. Get ready. Get ready to switch on all of these 
these dudes. And Minnesota better be ready to pre-switch. They better be ready to scram. They better be ready to do a, a lot of stuff because they're going to have to work on the back end of, nope, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, they are basically seeking out Mike Conley and trying to get Mike Conley in low man situations, trying to get Mike Conley in post-up defense situations, where now it's Cat and he's closing out to Austin Reeves. Or he's closing out to D'Angelo Russell, right? And and then it's AD who is just like, oh, no, it's actually McDaniels who was trying to box me out here. Or it's actually Anthony Edwards. And AD's going to win a lot of those, mm-hmm. those matchups, even against really good, good athletes. And this is where the chess match happens. It's not about... Oh, strength on strength and you're a big dude on my big dude. And, and how, no, it's just like, find the smallest dude. And I would expect mm-hmm. Minnesota to do the same thing. Yes. Where's D'Angelo Russell? Mm-hmm. Oh, like you're trying to hide him on McDaniels in the corner. Nope. McDaniels going to come and he's going to set ball screens for, for Anthony Edwards, right? There's going to be a lot of that back and forth, I think. And it's the team who can hold up the most with their most limited defender, being the guy who then has to do something to slow down that assault that the other team is going to try to bring. That's the story of the NBA on a night-to-night basis. It's really what uh, it's become is looking for that and, and trying to exploit it best you can. All right, good win last night. We will be back tomorrow to preview the uh, the Minnesota game a little bit more. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bat next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.